and we are live. Well, welcome everyone to Connected Learning TV. This is the first webinar in a special two-month-long series titled Post-Connected Educator Month, A Connected Mindset. I'm Cheryl Nussbaum Beach. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Powerful Learning Practice, which is a network of connected educators around the world. I'm also I had the privilege of serving as the co-chair for Connected Educator Month. And if that isn't enough co's for you, I'm uh, the co-host with Connected Learning Alliance's John Barlone. Um, so this is we're getting ready to get started. Now, throughout this series on Connected Learning TV, we're going to be introducing you to some amazing insights different best practices and the advice that came out of this year's Connected Educator Month that was held in October. If you're watching this, I hope you'll take a minute, share it out, uh, get your buddies and your fellow educators to come, um, especially if they didn't have the opportunity to participate in during Connected Educator Month. Today we're going to be chatting specifically about student agency, student voice, and the maker movement. Uh, it was a particular theme from Connected Educator Month, but before we dive into the chat and get to know um, our guests that are with us here, let's go over a couple quick details. For those of you that are watching live right now, um, we welcome your comments and your questions via the Twitter hashtag. So we're using CE14, that's CE14, um, or on the Google uh, Plus event page. So we're going to do a, your our very best to um, recognize your questions and your input. In fact, John is going to be um, get, making sure that he gives voice to a lot of that. Um, we're also going to be chatting throughout the month in the Connected Learning uh, Google Plus community. So if you're not part of that, you're going to want to make sure that um, you, you join and, and get involved in that community. So before we begin and get knee deep into this, what I'd like to do is give our guests a chance to introduce themselves. So we'll go ahead and start on the far left. So you want to just grab the mic? That'd be great. I'm not sure who's on the left this time, just because it looks different every time, I think. Um, so I'll just go, because I'm talking. Christina, it is you. I apologize. Is. I should have called your name, so please forgive me. No problem. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Christina Cantrell, and I um, have the great honor and privilege to work with the National Writing Project. Um, I'm a senior program associate there, and I work on our digital media and learning initiatives, and the focus particularly on digital um, uh, literacy and connected learning. Sorry about that. I was muted, so I was struggling with it. Joe, you want to go next? Sure, happy to. So I'm Joe Dillon, and I'm in Aurora, Colorado, where, where I'm a technology coordinator in the Aurora Public Schools, and I'm also a teacher consultant with the Denver Writing Project. And I've had, a, I've had the marvelous experience of collaborating with the National Writing Project on several initiatives, and they've certainly tuned me into Connected Learning and things like Connected Educator Month. That's wonderful. I'm a huge fan of National Writing Project, so so excited to be here um, hosting with you guys. And so someone that I've been a longtime fan of, and um, from afar, he might not have even known. Paul, you want to introduce yourself? Thanks. Hi, yeah, I'm Paul Ellison, and um, I'm a 6th and 7th grade teacher at the New Direction Secondary School in the Bronx, and I um, have been working with the National Writing Project um, for quite a long time, and with the New York City Writing Project as well. 
um, help uh, help found and continue to nurture youthvoices.net and uh, have a regular program now called uh, Teachers Teaching Teachers as well. So glad to be here in a different in different shoes. <laughs> Well, welcome to all of you. John, do you want to give a shout out uh, since you're here? I know everybody knows you, but go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> sure. Thanks, Cheryl. Hi, I'm John Barraloni. I'm the community manager for the Connected Learning Alliance, which is a startup org backed by the MacArthur Foundation um, that's working to spread and scale this vision that we call Connected Learning. And a uh, big thanks to the National Writing Project and the Educator Innovator folks for you know providing a great community of practitioners who are putting that vision you know into place every day. And I'm especially curious to see how we can help grow uh, Connected Educator Month beyond just you know one month a year and turn it into more of a, a lifelong, year-long uh, mindset and practice. Well, John, so are we. Um, the folks that put together Connected Educator Month are really excited about um, this idea of seeing it through, and it's events like this one that are going to help to make that a reality. And I tell you, one of our most popular themes is the one that we're going to be discussing this evening. And so I thought what I'd do is just kind of throw a question out there, and then whoever, whichever one of you want to uh, grab it can kind of go with it. And if several of you want to examine it, uh, be feel free to do that. I'm curious, what drew you to Connected Educator Month? So why did you decide to get started as a theme leader? And then I'm also kind of interested about this vision of connected educators relating to one another and finding each other. How does it speak to you? So what drew you to the month and you decide, had you decide to become a theme leader? And then what about this idea of connected educators finding each other and how does that speak to you? Who'd like to go first? Uh, I, so I, maybe I should just jump in um, just around the theme in particular, Cheryl. Um, and um, I think I've been working with Joe and Paul and many educators at the National Writing Project for many, many years now. And um, I feel like, you know, Writing Project um, is a network of educators across disciplines, across grade levels, increasingly working with out-of-school practitioners. And um, so this, this, so connecting is a big part of our work that I think actually draws us um, all together, <laughs> you know. And then when the web and um, started to connect us in these new ways, um, you know, educators like Paul and Joe have really been leading, kind of exploring how how do we connect as educators? What are the implications for youth? How do youth connect online? So um, when the opportunity to connect with Connected Educator Month came around, um, it felt like a natural place to, to um, uh, both, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying not to use the word connect all the time, but <laughs> that's what we're doing, you know, connect all the resources that we've gathered over time, connect the people who are doing different kinds of work, provide new opportunities for more people to get connected, and this idea of student agency voice and the maker movement was particularly of interest, I think, to us as a national writing project, since we are, um, as writers, very interested in making and connecting, and then how do youth develop voice and agency in their work and have impact in the world. So it all kind of 
interrelates in that that sort of webbed way. Um, so we're very excited to have the opportunity to do this um, from the National Writing Project's perspective and also connected to our Educator Innovator Initiative. It's a wonderful description and thank you so much for that. How about you, um, Paul, you or Joe want to weigh in on that? What drew you to Connected Educator Month and do you yeah. have a particular passion around this idea? Yeah, I, one of the things I wanted to say is that um, it's it's not clear we did a lot different during Connected Educator Month than we do other times. But um, what draws me to uh, you know be involved with Connected Educator Month is the possibility of expanded audience and reaching out to our, the, our colleagues who aren't these geeks who come here, you know, <laughs> all the time. Um, so that's part of it, So is, is kind of expanding the interest based with other people is one idea. I think you guys really did that too because I, I know that you do have your own tribe, you do have your own peeps that follow yeah. you and there's a lot of people involved and you have a lot of, you are connected in a lot of spaces but I do think that there were a lot of people that hadn't been exposed to you especially around the world that um, from New Zealand and Australia and some places like that that really um, were able to be involved in some of your activities. I'm curious um, what were the highlights of the month for you guys? Was there a particular session that you led? I know it's kind of your business as usual, but was there anything that served as a um, maybe business as usual and, and it really worked for you? Joe, you had turned your mic off. Do you want to? Oh, I think I would piggyback in terms of I, I I want to piggyback on what Paul said, which is that to some degree, you know, it's as much as I, I love Connected Learning TV and, and the opportunity to talk with you all today is is just a great opportunity. Still, it's very familiar for Paul and Christina and I to jump into a Google Hangout and discuss our learning and to share what we're doing. And so to some degree, it does feel similar to us, except to see new voices enter into the space. And I think that Connected Educator Month whether it's people following the hashtag, and we see people from our, you know, certainly the National Writing Project Network that's always, you know, maybe not always, for 40 years has been a vibrant face-to-face -face network and a human network that comes together so intentionally. I think it's, it's, the, it's the idea that the month is a time where we can encourage our peers to try it also and to join us and, and to invite them into the conversations that we, we like to think that we always invite them into. At the same time, we know that like, on a special month like Connected Educator Month, the formalization of it and the intentionality of bringing new voices and bringing attention to the work that you know, does start to feel day-to-day -day for us is, is great. And to me, it's every new person who learns to tweet or follows the hashtag or makes a connection. And if it's somebody globally who connects with NWP, great. And if it's somebody I've met face-to-face -face who suddenly give, you know, makes their third tweet, that's the highlight for me. 
That's great. Yeah, there were a lot of new voices, especially internationally. In fact, this year we had um, over 800 activities that were put on the calendar from people all over the world. We had um, 150 countries that joined in, so there were a lot of new voices there that were able to see the things that you guys were doing in your theme. You know, I know from knowing all three of you, watching your work and listening to some of the things you've done, that you really put yourselves as learners first that you have a lot to share, but that you're always willing to transparently talk about what you're learning. So I'm wondering, was there a particular aha or a light bulb, a kind of um, wow, you know, realization as you went through Connected Educator Month and the theme that you were leading and the work that you were doing or maybe the things that you were observing? Did you get a chance to attend anything else and did you have an insight? Did you have something that, that jumped out to you in terms of what you've learned? Well, I, I can um, point to, um, and it's Paul Allison talking, um, one of the, one of the uh, teacher teaching teacher shows that we did that kind of, I met a lot of new people on um, during Connected Educator Month was um, when we invited folks from, um, who are using Genius, um, and Jeremy um, Dean, um, who runs Educator, um, Educator Genius. Um, and, you know, we, we were just, he, he described it, I don't know if you um, know Jeremy at all, but he's a really lovely, vivacious, um, always giving a person, but he didn't know what, what we were planning necessarily. And I just invited a lot of people, and there were college professors and high school teachers and elementary school teachers, and for him it was like a, um, a surprise party, he said. So, and we learned a lot, and I'm, I continue to learn a lot about um, sort of social reading and what happens when all that happens. And, and they're developing the tool, um, so lots of cool things happening around that one. So that's one highlight that I can point to. Any of the rest of you have an aha moment or learning? Thank you for that, Paul. Hmm. We're all politely waiting for each other. Um, <laughs> so um, one of the things that uh, we kind of um, went into Connected Educator Month with, but I thought there were a lot of interesting um, conversations about it during the month, was um, kind of a shared inquiry around um, if you're going to how do you build time and space for connected learning opportunities in school? So through Educator Innovator, we had um, the uh, LRNG challenge um, during the month, and so there was this opportunity for folks to um, submit um, proposals um, during during the month. But then we also um, had. Uh, people blogging at Digital Is. Um, so that was really uh, great because there were sort of this, just this constant sort of thinking about how do we create time and space for these opportunities and start to describe that. And then the webinar that kicked off the month also brought together a few educators really thinking also about that and describing you know, for instance, like uh, Kim Dooliar talking about her kindergarten classroom, that the way that um, uh, she starts to build time and space for connected learning is first to 
support the kids in connecting to each other, you know, and then how she scaffolds that out during the year, um, and then um, and introduces them also to the way she is a connected educator herself um, over time. And so, you know, it was just, it was really lovely to have sort of this opportunity to kind of surface a bunch of those conversations through the month. Um, and uh, and then when I was I was curating today um, uh, a Pinterest board that we can share the link out to, um, you could um, just see this theme sort of coming in and out through the month and something I'd love to continue to talk about. Um, another theme I was sort of trying to poke Joe to talk about was one around tech equity that also surfaced in um, October. Is that fair, Joe? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, and I think that again, less less formal than many of the events, it, it's something that did happen and that we were excited about was we wanted to talk about. A few of us started tweeting back and forth about the need to to think about equity with technology, and this is certainly not a conversation that we you know began during Connected Educator Month, but it, it was one we wanted to kind of jump on. You know, a, a while back, Nicole Mira at UCLA had had blogged about her experiences during LA Unified's work with putting iPads into schools and she was she was particularly concerned by the media portrayal of students and uh, and so she encouraged students you know to uh, to study their own community and to look at how the media was representing them and ask them to look at it critically and to decide whether or not it, she, they thought it was fair and ultimately what they ended up presenting was that they felt like they were really marginalized by the media or actually you know labeled by the media as hackers as opposed to innovators and she Nicole really led these students in in thinking through <clears throat> why was it that they were being vilified when often they were kind of confused about the iPad plan or they felt like the iPad plan really wasn't you know wasn't well executed and still the newspaper headlines were about student misuse and in fact, students were using devices much like adults use their digital devices all the time. And so in this case, I think Nicole really stood up and, and said, you know, one of the ways for students to have voice is to, you know, express their agency by saying, we don't like how we're being represented in the media. And when Nicole encourages them to present and then subsequently blogs about it, I think that Nicole is modeling that student, that, that same voice and that same agency. And so often to know how to support students with with something like that, advocating for those, themselves online, it is important that te as teachers we have those experiences. So Nicole inspired me to try to carry on the conversation, and so because I'd had the opportunity to work in the in uh, the uh, the MOOC connected making learning connected masses massive open online collaboration we did last summer, I was connected to a to an educator in Egypt, Maha Bali, who works at the uh, University of Cairo. And so she was also interested in having the conversation about technology and equity. Not because of, of course, LA. She's less concerned about LA, but most, mostly gender issues in Egypt. And she wanted to know, we wanted to think together about what are the other ways just the idea of technology and equity might spur people's ideas around the globe. So we had a Twitter chat, and I think we got representation from Australia, certainly here in Aurora. We had folks joining from, uh, you know, all over the U.S. and then in Egypt. And so on that day, I think we had, you know, about 35 participants. 
but we really heard from around the globe, what does technology and equity mean? And so those are the kinds of things I think, it was, it's an example of us trying to be lead learners for students if we're going to encourage them to stand up and, and you know, and express, their vo express in their voices how they want to be treated in the media and how they want to be treated by the educational system, then we also have to advocate for students and we have to go first. That's, that is so powerful, so powerful. I'm curious, so did you get to choose the theme based on you guys' passion? I know we did an all call and we had people develop themes. Were you one of the first to the table and you picked that theme? Was it something you just kind of adopted out of being gracious? Um, I think in uh, in the meetings we heard that the theme was surfacing and um, I know that um, uh, there are many, there are several educator innovator partners who um, are part of the Connected Educator Month um, group, like the After School Alliance, for instance. And I know that there's a lot of, um, so there have been conversations, I believe, Cheryl, about, you know, um, how do we get youth voice really into this mix? Um, because so many of us have learned so much from our students and from youth themselves about you know what it means to be connected and so you know really trying to think about that in this mix too of being a connected educator and that idea of sort of learning alongside the youth that we work with. Um, last year during Connected Educator Month we worked with the Hive Learning Network and some youth actually led a series of educator facing webinars and we didn't um, that didn't happen this year as far as I know I, I'd love to find out if it did happen actually um, but um, that was really exciting I think and I think spurred some conversation about oh yeah you know it's really student voice and agency in this mix is such an important um, element to this conversation and where we there's a lot of deep learning for us all so. yeah it was um, in terms of we had student showcases but I don't know that we had true student uh, like the, like what you're talking about where there are student-led sessions and that kind of thing like there was I think in 2013 and in 2012. It's something that um, I'd like to be a lot more focused on. And one of the things, I, I was so busy doing the work and leading on go, that I didn't get to attend a lot of sessions and I wanted to be involved in yours. I mean you're, you have smart conversations and you cause people to think very deeply and so but, I, but what I did notice from looking on afar is that out of all the theme leaders you were the most collaborative so I was wondering, because you brought a lot of different organizations in that were doing a lot around it, instead of it just being, you know, really about uh, your your two organizations. So I'm curious, was that intentional that you did that, the, to be collaborative like that? And um, any insight you can give us around that collaboration piece and how that came to be? Yeah, let me speak for that, if I could, from the um, National Writing Project and at Innovator um, perspective, and I know Paul and Joe are collaborative in their work all the time too, so I'd love for them to speak to that. I just wanted to say that the um, Educator Innovator Initiative that the National Writing Project um, powers or helps to organize and leads is um, really a network of networks, so it's sort of you know, it's kind of the design of that network to support, um, well, it's a network of networks who are supporting educators and thinking about connected learning. So, um, so it's sort of designed to be um, supporting that kind of uh, connected and networked work 
um, uh, throughout the year with a particular focus on connected learning and um, open opportunities for educators. So it's very sympathetic, I think, too, to Connected Educator Month. I think that's, you know, why uh, we've, we've um, you know, sort of been able to work together so well in this context and bring in all these partners that are doing similar work. And I think that that is something we share you know, the, that those networking opportunities and then making those accessible and available. Um, it's really sort of a shared goal, I think, that we all have. Any of the others of you want to weigh in on that? Any ideas about this idea of collaboration? Because, I mean, I know that um, the National Council for Teachers of English, they kind of did a collaborate the collaboration theme, and they were collaborative. I think they even collaborated with you on some things. But I had just noticed that there were a lot of different organizations participating with you as you went through uh, your events. So, Paul, did you or Joe have any insight on that? Um, were you in very intentional about the way that you organized the um, the events that you put on the calendar to make sure that they were collaborative, or did it just kind of happen and unfold because of the nature of your organization? <clears throat> I don't know. It's, it's, it is sort of our practice <laughs> to always invite as many people in as, as we can. You know, when we do when we do these hangouts, we always uh, publish and and invite anybody to jump in when they can. Um, and so that that's sort of another example. You know, and that's something that Jeff Lebo at uh, World Bridges and Ed Ed Tech Talk taught us a long time ago um, that, like, just uh, always leave a, play, a, a the door open for somebody else to come in and sit down, and and sometimes it's a problem, but rarely. I mean, so I think you know, and that's been happening more and more. People just show up and like, hi, uh, who are you? Uh, tell us more, and and they usually have interesting, thoughtful questions. So that's 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 one notion. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's just uh, whoever's interested to, to kind of flock with us, we're happy to, to do that. <laughs> yeah. So it was really kind of by nature. So Joe, maybe you could maybe you could address this because I was thinking as Christina was um, we talk was talking earlier about this idea of student agency and and the um, Joe, I guess you were talking about about the professor for the student in Egypt that came in and was really interested in the gender differences. Do you have any advice for educators when we're trying to help students have um, more voice and you know really looking at marginalized um, kinds of issues and helping students have more agency? What are some great steps that um, a classroom-based educator could take to allow that to happen? Any ideas around that? And we'll start with Joe and then any of the rest of you that want to weigh in. <coughs> Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, I think that the first thing is for students to know that the channels are available, right? And the idea that, you know, during Connected Educator Month or any, any, you know, any month where you're interested in showing students the power of the web, the idea that experts are accessible is often, you know, it dovetails with um, interest-driven learning. If you're so interested in, in a topic, it's often really motivating if you can reach out to an expert on that subject and get a like or a comment or a, or you know have somebody hang out with you I mean that notion often doesn't occur to students and we act as translators as adults when we say you know these educators they respond to comments you push their thinking and we can even model for them 
where we see you know strong discourse that you know maybe there's push and pull back and forth with with uh, with you know experts etc. I mean to to kind of come back to another equity example, there's something that's been happening locally in Colorado, and this is this has been happening up at CSU with the uh, with the CSU writing project. So at CSU, one of the concerns they have is there's a restaurant opening up, and the restaurant um, uses the name illegal in the name of the restaurant, and and a few educators that are connected, you know, with the National Writing Project have said they're not too sure about naming and naming a Mexican restaurant, you know, illegal something, right? And so they're expressing these concerns. So this has generated just a little bit of buzz in the Fort Collins newspaper and then also here in the Denver Post. What I know is that at CSU in those English classrooms, you know, yes, this is happening in the public media and in the web media, but I also know that in those English classrooms or those those uh, teacher preparation classrooms at CSU, they are talking to those you know pre-service teachers about this is the type of discourse we have to first understand before we can support students in having. And so when we're going to take on a tough issue like should we be naming Mex Mexican restaurants illegal anything, we're going to open ourselves up to criticism as citizens. But if we if it really means something to us, then we have to understand you know, how comments factor in. And when we reach out, we don't want echo chambers. It's the same reason we want to collaborate, you know. I mean, if we're always, if we're, if it's just always the three of us from the National Writing Project, Christina, Paul, and I, well, we can be really self-congratulatory and pat ourselves on the back. When we invite other people in, we have to explain what our mission is as an organization. We have to see if it resonates. And they often ask the same kind of questions, or they, they ask the right questions to prompt us to think more deeply Reflect, reflect more deeply. And so when educators at CSU push back against something that the community, you know, otherwise isn't aware of, and they're going to stand up for, you know, Latino students and Latinos in those communities, um, that's really important. I mean, I think that's important work, and it's another example of modeling for students that this is the type of, of discourse that does play out, and it's not just, it's not just geeks debating tech topics. It is, you know, it's people who care about real issues that matter to, to kids and community, and if you care about your community, you know, this discourse is not, it's not slacktivism, which I've heard it called before, you know, when somebody is going to speak out for an issue they believe in on the web. It's not slacktivism, it's actually a way to build a movement. And it's a new way to build a movement, so we have to be really specific about, you know, what does it look like in blog form? Why are blogs important? So many people want to dismiss blogs because they seem old hat or trailing edge technology. But ultimately, you know, you see the work that's happening, powerful work is happening via blogs and not the newest app. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think so, uh, what I've noticed is that the trend has been where blogs tend to allow for deep thinking, whether it's student voice or teacher voice, which is sometimes marginalized as well. <clears throat> but we've moved towards quick and easy, you know, 140 characters where we don't really have to make the commitment and go deep. And I know some people go on and on about Twitter's the best professional development they've ever gotten and, you know, all that. And, and I get it. And I, I often say it's because Twitter, to me, is like um, emancipation from the silos of their classrooms, that teachers have finally found other, or educators, have found other people they can talk to. But I, but I do think that um, allowing students to have authentic opportunities, like you were describing, uh, within the community, 
to elevate their voices and allowing them to be able to express those in writing through blogs is a, is a wonderful example. Do either, Christina, do you or Paul want to weigh in on that, on steps that educators can take to uh, help give students more voice in their classrooms, different activities or ways they can reach out? You know, um, I can just uh, <laughs> just em emphasize uh, what's, some of what's already been said about starting with uh, student interest, student um, passion, student curiosities. Um, you know, uh, I, um, what in, in our community now, people are tired of me saying, I think now, but um, starting with 10 self 10 world questions where students really find um, the questions that they want to explore. Um, and, and we spend a lot of time as teachers really listening really carefully to everything they're doing, everything they're saying to each other, really trying to find what is the thing that's going to um, make it for that student. You know, I, you know, I just uh, sorry to babble a little bit, but uh, there's a young man who I, I can't get a hold of um, and, um, and what he wants to do. He's, he's a really quick learn on the guitar, and I've been trying to see if he wanted to pursue that. But that's, he doesn't want to bring that into school. Like, that's something he does outside of school, so kind of respecting those boundaries are interesting. So I started playing chess with him today, and like he loves chess. So, I so it's just an example of like I, I don't know what what kind of exploration he exploration he's going to do yet, but um, taking the time feels like it takes time to find what kids are curious about, really curious about, to spend time on and to explore over time. Um, so I, I was also just, just quickly thinking that agency voice and maker movement go way together. It's hard to talk about one without the other. Um, so those those are important concepts. Um, and the last thing that, I've been, that I want to say right now that I've been um, thinking about is, um, you know, I, I work in a, a middle school that's for um, students who have been engaged um, by school. Um, and so I uh, 16, 17-year-olds in 6th and 7th grade. And um, they, um, they want to use the computers as, as toys, as places to, to, you know, watch, to be consumers. And moving them from that to being active users and um, seeing that their voice matters out there, not just, you know, not just going on Facebook and connecting, right? So, like, connecting's not enough on some level, right? Um, is is a, is an ongoing struggle, and it's it's not easy all the time. So that movement from toy to tool is is an important concept. I think. So those are some ideas. <laughs> um, I'm glad you said that, Paul. I was trying to think. Um, I, I was connecting back to um, the webinar that kicked off uh, the month. Um, uh, the, our theme for the month, and in that webinar, um, Paul, oh, my colleague from the national. Writing Project and Joe Paraiso, who works a lot, who is a teacher in Oakland, a high school teacher in Oakland, California, works a lot with Paul at the youthvoices.net uh, website, their youth uh, blog together in that um, in-school social network. And um, they were talking about this idea of student agency, student voice, the maker, maker movement, 
And what's important about that package is the potential for impact. <laughs> that that actually, like, it's it's not just about voice, it's not just about agency, it's not just about making, but it's about using those things together to actually have an impact, um, a potential impact in the community. So whether, um, you know, as Joe was talking about, it's sort of an advocacy piece in a community or the raising of a sort of question or concern, um, or if it's, you know, finding someone else who cares about this issue like you do, um, and it might it might be um, a more personal issue, but 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 the thinking about and what you're making to connect with another youth, with another peer, with other mentors, within of which the larger community is where you start to see impact. Um, so I just thought that was really an important piece, and I'm, I'm glad Paul described like the three of them. It's hard to talk about them separately because, um, kind of as a package, there's a there's a lot of powerful potential for learning. And Christina, I'm glad you brought up uh, YouthVoices.net because that actually leads into a question I had for the three of you in terms of what specific, you know, maybe is it resources or communities or programs are there out there? that you've seen being really effective at giving kids and students an opportunity to find their voice, express their voice, whether that is for you know, commenting on their education learning experience or you know, maybe it's social justice issues that they're interested in. So um, Paul is wondering if you could give us a, a quick overview of youthvoices.net for people that might not have heard of it before, and then also Joe and Christine, if you want to add in uh, any other resources that you guys like as well. Yeah, I mean, and um, so YouthVoices.net is a really it's um it's a Drupal-based website that we started uh, eleven years ago, and um, the we is a group of uh, different, not that many, a few of us um, from different National Writing Project sites. Um, it started as a podcasting site originally, and then um, we said, oh, we could have kids blog around their, their themes too. So uh, there, I think uh, we recently, <laughs> I think there are 125 missions now that um, teachers, mainly teachers, have created. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we think about. Um, Keeping student interest, as I just explained, central. Um, but we invite teachers to jump in there and get their students in there and um, and um, connect with each other. It's very much a, a student to student space um, where students find each other. Um, not sure how else to explain. It. You know, um, the um, it's it's always really important to say right away that. Um, the, the tools we use together, the, the ways we interact together are, are all in the service of young people getting their voices out there and finding each other and um, having deeper and deeper conversations, discussions. You know, if they're not blog posts, they're discussion posts. Um, the, um, so that's, that's some of the notion. Can say quickly that uh, you know all of us had individual blogs or 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 class blogs, and uh, we kind of said you know we could probably find each other easier if we were doing it in this discussion forum. Um, so 
that's some ways to introduce it. So, Paul, I want to ask you a question. I, I heard somebody describe it recently, youthvoices.net, as kind of like an open, collaborative writer's notebook. And I wonder about your take on that, because before I repeat it any more broadly than I just did, I want your take on that, I guess. Well, you know, that'd be nice. I, yeah, that'd be great. If you go there, you're, you're going to, like, you're going to see the assignment behind a lot of the, the stuff. And, in fact, you know, we're... So, so... This, what we're always working toward is getting ownership, right? I mean, we're just all writing teachers, and this is nothing new. But <laughs> so we want kids to get some ownership over over the stuff we're asking them to do. Um, what's wonderful is when they see each other's work and say, "Oh, I could do that. I want to do that too." Um, when we we do have many many kind of guides that. Um, it's worth mentioning, and they're just sort of text structures that when kids post wonderful things, they um, we pull the content out and represent um, sort of the text structures. Um, those are those are important tools that some of us love and some of us hate, and you know, same thing with our, our students. Um, so we're we're just kind of always kind of messing and trying to figure out how to get young people connected to each other um, and in, in really authentic ways. Just worth mentioning, um, they, when it works, they say that their work is what represents them and, you know, they, they feel like they can be more authentic and honest there than they can be in, in many of their other social networks where they're kind of showing off and having to have personalities and so forth. So. Personas. So anyway, that's. But you know, I mean, it. But we use a collection of stuff. A lot of us use Google Docs, for example, and uh, many of us are playing with Google Classroom now. And you know, we. I can keep going. You know, we 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 mess with Guru um, Learning, and we mess with. I mentioned. Um, you know, we mess w with different kinds of um, annotation. Um, Sites, uh, Vialogs, and <laughs> right. I mean, I, and um, I mentioned Genesis, Genius earlier, and Now Comment, and and other things that that we play with. But it's 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 always in the service of of writing in community and and people connecting. So the tools are important, and, and I think they make a difference. Um, but mainly because of the purpose and the community that we have as teachers working together. Sure, and I think the thing I think I really appreciate, well, there's so many things I appreciate about Youth Voices. The thing I always love to point out when I go there is, you know, it's important to understand that the price of joining Youth Voices is free, and the, the, uh, the hidden benefit, of course, is that you can see the assignments behind the student work sometimes, and it's nice when the assignments disappear and the student voice, you know, comes through even more clearly. Still, though, for an educator who's not too sure about how to, you know, start to get students on the web. You know, Paul has really been a lead learner, and, and his community, his growing community, is a lead learner of teachers. And so when that teacher might take the, the first step that they're hesitant to take, really, you know, they can see it in that distributed text, what's possible. And they see the, they, you know, the digital footprint that Paul and the other teachers leave offers a level of guidance to a teacher who's unsure, which I think that level of guidance for teachers is definitely in the spirit of Connected Educator Month and certainly the idea that 
you know, that there are like veteran teachers there who are really passionate about this work. And that's not always, that's usually not present on something that you have to pony up a little bit of money for or a school budget for. So that's important. And then I transition to another one that I just think is, you know, world renowned. So sometimes you think it goes without saying, but certainly to teachers who are new to this type of thinking or this type of instruction, I think Scratch from MIT is really important because, number one, because they get over a thousand, I'm sorry, a thousand, they get a million comments a month on their space. And so what began as, you know, a, a programming language, it's really accessible for, for youth, and it's designed so they can build games or create artwork using programming and simple kind of cut-and-paste programming tools, has now turned into a really vibrant community that is moderated by a team of undergrads at MIT. I understood, I understand, I've heard them speak before. And I think it's so fascinating and flabbergasting that they get a million comments a month and it's well-regulated. And when you hear that team talk about it, they talk about the comments that they see Sometimes when youth first get on to Scratch and they're looking at other, other uh, student youth projects, I should say, um, they often err in their comments. They often bring commenting practices from YouTube into Scratch. And what I was fascinated to hear from the, the Scratch team is they feel like with just a few polite emails, they can refra reframe the student's lens. So they say, you know, this is a design community. And in a design community, that type of feedback doesn't work. And I was... I was stunned to hear that they really feel like they can straighten out the commenting, the commenting practices that students often learn on YouTube that doesn't serve them well when they turn, turn around and need to collaborate. And on this space, it's really an amazing, uh, I think, experiment that obviously is kind of proven, you know, richly beneficial. And again, the cost is free. So I think that's a powerful tool, along with code.org is another one that's, that is free. We work with here in Aurora Public Schools, we work with this, the University of Colorado at Boulder, and they use a, a tool called uh, Scalable Game Design, which is very low cost, and it's also in partnership with CU Boulder, and so that's another way that um, schools can start to think about in, involving students in design and programming, and I think that's a key piece of the maker movement because the cost is very low, and they're definitely making when they're programming. So as I was listening to all of you talk, I, I, it's interesting that you were talking about Scratch because I was thinking about something that Mitch Resnick said one time where he said that if you really want to build community, then what you do is you bring a group of people around co-created content. And I think one of the, the pluses of having a month like Connected Educator Month I mean, we're all connecting. We're all doing these things all the time, as, as I think it was Paul that pointed out. But when you give people the catalyst to come together and co-create content, um, you really do see that a sense of community starts to develop. I have some questions I want to ask you about the maker aspect of your theme. But before I do that, you've kind of inspired me to think about the, um, this idea of there's these resources that we can help teachers start to use to build student voice and equity and but in one of, in the schools that I work with and I get to work with schools around the world with the work that I do with powerful learning practice I see that more and more that teachers have a really difficult time of letting go of the control because uh, the culture of education is one that has control at the heart of it do you I'd be curious to hearing from any of the three of you. Do you think that um, are there some ways that teachers can start to um, let go of that control to really 
in some cases do reverse mentorship or do other things that will elevate student voice? I mean, how do you how do you help teachers to let go of the reins? And because um, kids always exceed our expectations when we do that, but um, how do you, how do you what's what's a big, what's a good first step program to letting go of the control? I, I think I'll chime in quickly and say that the one one of the tools that we use is in APS and just just a little bit it, with interested computer science teachers is many of them um, want tr want to build off students' interest in Minecraft and so I've helped teachers use Minecraft typically through Minecraft EDU begin to engage students in you know design projects. Um, just initially so a student can play in the same server and build. And that one in particular because the students bring, not all students know how to play Minecraft, but in any given class about half of them will and they know way better than the teacher. And this sets up a discourse where students enter into the space as experts and the teacher who's trying to learn how to capture or capitalize on student interest, they really become dependent on those students. And they often can kind of, you know, plan instructionally for like one project and very often you know the students who've supported them through that project then have the next best ideas for the next projects and teachers minds are are you know usually blown they also they have clarification questions about safety and how to run servers and things like that but typically i'd say in some in those instances teachers have to release the reins yeah and i um would mention um well, the, what I wanted to say first was listening, right? Um, and just to, to echo um, Monica Hardy's, um, if, uh, she always ends up saying, you just got to find more and more ways to listen to students. Um, and um, so that, that, that may seem like not much, but I think it's a big deal. Um, then the, the next thought I had was how important it has been in lots of circumstances to, and this is true with Monica's experience too, to have students be given time to reflect, to, I mean, you know, um, to just write whatever's on your mind, to, to write about your goals, to, you know, to just establish communities in, within, community within classrooms around um, writing or or videotaping or audio taping, but but talking about what's on you your mind and what's important to you, those are like, for some reason we forget to give young people opportunities to do that in school. I think, and then the other big programmatic thing that I, that I'll um, the Joe's comment about Minecraft made me think of is, is that um, over the past two summers we've done something called the Youth Voices Inquiry Project. Um, in, and um, with the New York City Writing Project, and we've had two thirds young people and one third um, teachers in the room, all working together as as peers, and and that kind of combination has been really really interesting. Um, in because the teachers don't have to be teachers anymore; they can so any situation like that that creates a cross-generational learning experience, I think is, 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 um, is an important idea in, in, in letting go of control so that everybody becomes a learner at that point. 
Christina, did you want to weigh in on that at all? Do you have um, any insights on that, or do you want me to give my question because I want to ask about this maker stuff? Okay. Well, uh, it might actually connect to that. So, um, yeah, just real quickly, um, among educators um, at the Writing Project, I mean, a real sort of key theory of action that we bring into a lot of this work is that um, in order to teach writing, you have to write yourself and sort of like really be grounded in, in the practices. And so um, so making, it's kind of a similar thing. We've had a couple summers now um, also of an open online um, collaboration um, that both Joe and Paul have provided, you know, been great leaders for. And um, that was an opportunity really for educators to dig into their own interests and make things and share them in both face-to-face -face and online communities and then to write and reflect on what that meant and how that you know what that um, felt like, what that, that triggered, what questions it raised, what was exciting about it, what was fun, what does it mean about learning, what does it therefore mean about teaching. So it's been a really wonderful experience to sort of dig back in as educators ourselves into our own interests and our own making and then think about the implications um, for what that means in our classrooms and our teaching situations. Yeah. You know, oh, oh, go ahead. No, you go, Joe. I'd like to piggyback on that and, and say one of the things we see at CL MOOC is teachers articulating authentic goals. And that's also what I heard Paul talking about was, you know, the idea that goal setting is something, you know, that can be fundamentally important in a, in a writer's workshop, but also can be really illuminating in a makerspace. The idea that youth enter into a makerspace with goals and teachers enter into CL MOOC with goals. And I think that even when they're novices, especially when they're novices, the goals that those educators write or the goals that a, that a youth might articulate walking into a makerspace is really the first thing that we can admire about their work. And, you know, I just think back to my practice as a middle school literacy teacher, you know, if I'm looking at seventh grade writing, the first thing I want to find is something I can admire. And similarly, when I'm working with a youth in a makerspace, I can admire always their goals, even if it's the first half-hearted attempt at trying something that they're going to leave behind. Those goals are something we can really admire. And when we say, when we can say things about youth following their intention and their interests, then we are, you know, we are encouraging agency and we are encouraging voice and we're, we're saying, we're, you know, effectively establishing the habit of mind that articulating goals in a space where you're a newbie is something that educators love. So this whole idea of maker, let me, let me just ask this Paul and then maybe you can jump in with that because this, um, this is something that I've been struggling with and, and I thought, first I thought it was kind of interesting to do, you know, student voice and, and agency and then maker movement. And then as Paul was talking, he said, well, he couldn't imagine them not being together, that they absolutely fit together. And so then I started thinking about that as you were talking. And I was thinking, yeah, because it does tie to this idea of self-directed learning. And then when Christina was talking about teachers working from their passion or what interests them, and that really tied nicely back into what you were saying about just make it where everybody's a learner. And then... That helps teachers to let go of that control. So, I, so what is maker? Does it have to be a maker space, and does it have these certain constructs around it, or is making 
um, something that comes from tinkering and being involved in my passion and creating innovation and new things. I mean, can it be just uh, wordsmithing, or does it have to be something that takes place in a makerspace that requires a lot of resources? I guess, you know, what is a great makerspace, and, and what is it? Is it a word? that really a great deal? Is it project-based learning? Is that making, you know, part of the maker movement? Or is it something much more deep than that in your mind? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. The, the um, you know, the, I mean, th those are some of the same questions I've been asking. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a bit of a fraud around making, because I would love to have much more making happening in my classroom. Um, but I think there is, you know, there is certainly a lot of making. We we mess with Scratch and lots of tools, online tools, and I think that's important. Um, and the teachers I work with, especially in the New York City Writing Project, we've joked with each other that, you know, well, what did you make today? And uh, you know, and it's fine that we ask each other, and we joke back, well, we made meaning. Um, and. And and that there's a there's a joke there, but there's also it's important also that you know um, that you're not just putting things together that you are making meaning um, when you're when you're messing with the the tools and so forth too. So I I don't know if that's an answer, but sure, those are great questions you just asked. <laughs> um, I was just gonna say that for. I, I think that there is um, a maker movement that is, um, uh, you know, morphing and changing all the time, um, but sort of like has a little bit of a description. And um, I think that there is making, and we often talk about making and writing at the Writing Project, that, that writing actually is an act of making. So I would argue, Paul, you're doing a lot of making with your youth. But anyway, <laughs> we talk about this a lot. We argue about it a lot. Um, and um, uh, but making also is really, I think if you think about you know are are we always to to be like makers of knowledge and not just consumers of knowledge all the time, but actually be makers of knowledge. So even one of the groups that I didn't know at all, I think from New Zealand, um, who signed up for the student agency group um, theme this month was called Maths Like Pirates, and um, they just. Uh, oh, let me see. They're, one of their questions is, um, how can classroom math pirates be creators of knowledge? You know, like that's that's their question that they're bringing forward, and I feel like that's a really important. That's what making's about, really. Um. That helps me a lot. It's it really is. It's great to think about those kinds of things, and especially. Uh, what Paul said too about making meaning. You know, it's. I think that is. Wouldn't that be great if that if that was the essence of the maker movement to be able to go with deep thinking and make meaning? John, what do you think about all this? I think we got a new bumper sticker. Uh, something about pirates and making. It's it's in there. We'll go back through the recording and and make it for sure. Um, but as is usually the case with connected learning TV webinars, sixty minutes flies by. It's never exactly enough time to cover everything we wanted to, but 
I'm hoping that you know this particular video, this particular series acts more as a jumping off point for people again who may not have gotten to participate in Connected Educator Month or who are just now catching up with it. Um, hopefully this is giving people you know, a good insight into maybe what they might have missed and hopefully is inspirational and you know, maybe you know pushing people to kind of push the boundaries of their own practice. And we're going to have a full recording of this webinar immediately up on www.connectedlearning.tv with other curated content on the way that you can share with your networks, especially if they weren't able to watch live today. And this wraps up the first webinar of the series, but that doesn't mean our conversations just have to fall flat here. Um, you can keep chatting through Twitter and the hashtag CE14CE14, and hopefully you'll make some new friends in our Connected Learning Google Plus community as well. And if you found this conversation helpful, please, please, please share it with your peers, share it with your networks. And as a reminder, um, this past year, Connected Educator Month uh, totally went global, like we've talked about, and everyone can help turn a month of events into a year-long opportunity for connectors to educate for educators to connect with and support one another. So I hope you guys will check out the CrowdRise campaign www.crowdrise.com/connectededucatormonth. And if you'd like to know more about um, this particular series or other upcoming webinars on Connected Learning TV, um, check out again the website www.connectedlearning.tv and sign up for the email newsletter. So again, everyone here, thank you guys so much for sharing your time, your energy, your insights, and I'll see you all online later. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. It was, it was my pleasure, you guys. You guys were great.